Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. It's time for part two of Campbell Gunn's presentation on new Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I do recommend you go back and listen as Campbell provides a detailed background on Mr. Suga's origins and political profile. Then come back here for a more in-depth look into his policies and how they're expected to affect markets in Japan. I'm going to go through briefly each of the policy areas uh, and then wrap up with uh, the, the, the stock ideas that we have. The, um, the defense situation is unlikely to change even if Biden is president. In fact, Biden will probably give Japan an easier ride than Trump as regards the contribution to the cost of supporting uh, US forces here. Japan is very much under the US defense uh, and foreign policy umbrella. And most of Tokyo airspace is controlled by the US military. There are very large um, bases of all of the arms of the US military here. However, Japan will commit to increasing defense expenditure. Uh, it's already above NATO levels, although obviously Japan is not a member of that. And there will be a renewed focus on cybersecurity and, an, and a new focus on uh, space security. Again, pretty much towing the US line. I don't think that uh, he will be confrontational with China and South Korea, but he's not going to engage. Interestingly, his first uh, overseas trips were to ASEAN, Indonesia and Vietnam. And the, uh, the concept of, a, of an Asian version of NATO, he would support this. Uh, that would include also India and Australia and New Zealand. And there have been recent joint uh, naval exercises with the Australian and US Navy. So all in all, I think it's, it's a continuation, but don't, I wouldn't expect any improvements in relations. And whatever goes on with China will really key off whatever US policy towards China evolves to be. Economically, again, uh, we will have more of the same. Uh, the Bank of Japan has continued its quantitative easing and purchase of ETFs. However, I think it's clear that Japan is moving from the previous, what I call development model, which South Korea and China are still in, which is maximizing production, all, all forms of materials. And I think Abe wanted to revive that model and did so successfully, primarily by weakening the yen. And certainly the profitability of Japanese companies improved dramatically. However, I think Japan is now moving towards what I call a financial surplus model. This means that Japanese corporates will be um, much more focused on profitability, will hoard cash, and to, uh, to, to mollify foreign investors will certainly increase dividends and share buybacks. And certainly, as you can see, uh, there's a chart in the presentation about how Japan has only in the last 10 years uh, become a net, a net corporate cash economy. There, there's a certain amount of mythology about how long Japanese companies have had piles of cash. 
it, it's only been excessive in my view in the last three years as a result of the Abe boom. Now that they have large piles of cash, they feel very comfortable and secure. And COVID has given Japanese companies an excuse to cut costs on a fairly dramatic basis. This is why the profitability of uh, larger Japanese companies has been rapidly recovering, as we've seen in the results that uh, are coming out at the moment uh, for the half year for most companies. This, however, doesn't help households and it doesn't help smaller companies who are reliant on the larger companies for their income and and revenue. And therefore, uh, households... Uh, have also started to raise cash. They've been given some money by the government, but they are currently hoarding this cash as well. This means that eventually, I believe, that Jap- uh, Japan will, will be raising taxes. We'll get onto that in a minute. Most Japanese people are now resigned to the fact that Japan is a fading economic power. They have decided that they do not want higher levels of debt with the model that China pursues nor do they wish to have large levels of immigration. And the repeated terrorist incidents, which can be attributed to immigrant communities in many parts of Europe, whatever, ignoring the religious aspect, uh, have solidified Japan's view that immigration should continue to be highly limited. This means that the average Japanese person is happy, but doesn't expect the economy or their income to grow substantially. There is a concern, obviously, about what the pension situation will be, and hence my view that the tax take will have to rise. But Japan's misery index, unemployment plus inflation, is at a 50-year low. And I think while it, it isn't necessarily great that the youth of Japan has kind of given up on being part of the global community and is resigned to being a salaried employee, for most of their life, that this seems to be acceptable. And therefore, Japan is going to be a surplus, financial surplus country. It's going to save more, it's going to spend less. And those companies that are at the top of the pile will uh, will focus on, on, uh, on profitability more than scale. And so this is what, what this leads to is a two-tier market where you have very successful companies, as you do in certain sectors uh, of the US, which are trading on extreme valuations because of their growth. And a lot of moribund companies in older analog industries with extremely attractive from a traditional value perspective uh, valuations. And I would include most of small cap Japan in, in the latter category. And so this market is evolving pretty much like the U.S. And whether that makes it attractive as a, as a market relative to the U.S. is mainly because of the second category. And therefore, uh, what people buy when the index goes up tends to be rather similar in the U.S., extremely expensive, high quality growth stocks. So there are, there are interesting parallels here. Uh, so I, I do think that the rates, the tax rates have to go up. Japan's tax take of, of GDP is well below uh, the European average and is more uh, appropriate for a high growth, high population growth economy. Uh, and therefore, I would expect 
once Suga is re-elected, i.e. we go through another election cycle, uh, that the consumption tax will go up to 15% by 2027. It won't be popular, but it's going to be very necessary in order to fund Japan's healthcare and social spending budgets. Part of this, uh, the offset for higher rates of taxation, would be a more efficient and less costly bureaucratic system. Japan actually doesn't have that many bureaucrats. Ironically, they, they, they are efficient. Uh, certainly the number compared to France as a percentage of population is embar- very embarrassing for France. Um, but <clears throat> Japan is still very much paper-driven society. I don't know if, if anyone's ever tried to do anything here, but seals are still, personal seals are still used for almost all documentation. And one of the issues during the initial phase of COVID here was that staff had to go to the office just to put a seal on the document and then go home. And so this um, this seal and paper culture has been an early focus of administrative reform. I mean, enigmatic of the fact that Japan is a paper-bound country, the topics index has a still has a sub-index just for paper and palm companies. Rather amusing, and it doesn't have one for internet companies. So Kono, who was previously a foreign minister and then defense minister, and is probably an aspiring successor, uh, has been given the task of, uh, of doing this. He's the right person to appoint for this position. He's passionate techie. He did go to Georgetown, so his English is excellent. He is very good at communicating with the public. However, he has to work with and convince the bureaucracy. And although uh, Suga has appointed many of the senior bureaucrats, they're not going to be a pushover. And so I think uh, this will take time and the focus will primarily be in the administration of healthcare, where at the moment there is no national uh, documentation system. And I think certainly there, there are clear opportunities for, for many companies uh, in this area. He will set up a digital agency, but that will take time because it requires an act of parliament to do so. And therefore, any major spending on this area is for probably his second term once he's re-elected. So this is a 2022 and onwards project for digitalization. While all of this talk has been going on, if you uh, take the number of listed internet and information technology stocks, and I'm excluding the telco sector from this, Japan already has 500 listed companies in, in this area. Uh, and it's the largest segment uh, of any, if you put the two together, it's the largest single segment. Ironically, the largest single one is still wholesale, which is again a, a reflection of the inefficiencies that still exist in this country. And I did write another uh, Smart Karma original quite some time ago, uh, reviewing the internet sector and highlighting the fact that uh, Japan has really lagged the US in developing local champions in this area, despite the fact that in the year 2000, these sectors combined accounted for a larger portion of the market in terms of percentage than they do today. Many of these companies failed to capitalize on their early mover advantage. 
obviously it takes a while for anyone coming into this market to localize given the language barriers. However, I think the US companies were extremely uh, adept at doing this. And as a result, the major internet and the major IT companies in Japan are all American. And I don't think that will change. And NEC was the last bastion. They had their own chips. They had their own operating system, which was still in use when I first came here. Nowadays, everything is Wintel or Apple. Japan also focused heavily on mainframes and completely missed the distributed server network model. And therefore, when the internet came along, Japan was ripe for the picking. And unlike China, because of Japan's security dependence on the US, there was nothing that Japan could do about, uh, in order to, to limit the growth of, uh, of US internet companies here. So Amazon here is as rampant as it is uh, in the US, and the service is even better than, in my view, than in the US. So the area that um, Suga has focused on, as I mentioned, in terms of helping uh, the cost of living in Japan is telecommunication services. Now, I have a chart in the presentation which shows you that, uh, or in the insight, that from 2004 to 2015, the aggregate profitability of Japanese mobile phone and, uh, and fixed line phone companies did not change. And therefore the provision of voice was really not a profitable enterprise. However, in the last five years, Profits have gone up by more than 50%. And all of that is attributed to priced data plans where we've had clearly a data explosion and the usage of mobile phones while commuting and therefore the playing of games and other phenomenon here is something to behold if you're ever traveling at that time of morning. Clearly, the mobile phone bill is, is, is the third largest uh, after rent and food for any Japanese household. And to cut this by maybe 10,000 yen a year uh, would be symbolic and certainly uh, driven a number of recent changes in the sector. The first was obviously because of NTT's status is still effectively a government-owned entity. They were the first to respond by cutting their price plans and there's a chart here which shows you the, the bottoming of this relative share price at the point the price plans were announced. And since uh, Suga was prime minister, within a very short space of time, NTT decided to buy out the minorities of Entity uh, Dokuma. SoftBank is a, different, is a different kettle of fish because of its other businesses. But I would say that the other issue, and I pointed to this in the note, was the ownership of KDDI. And since I wrote this, Toyota has increased its stake in KDDI. Uh, I would expect that to continue to increase and eventually for Toyota to buy out CureSero's stake and eventually buy the whole of KDDI, giving Toyota a, a, new, a, a new business arm. Rakuten is the spoiler here, given that they are willing to lose money for quite a, a few years in order to establish a low-cost and low-price uh, alternative service. But clearly, this sector uh, why, uh, is, is the most traded sector in the market and will continue to um, provide a sensible amount of volatility for, for anyone who 
is able to see what's going to happen next. Overall, however, I don't, if you exclude SoftBank, I don't think the profitability in the sector will go up uh, and it will certainly not reach the 3 trillion yen operating income level for some time, if ever again. If you don't have immigration, you've got to have more babies. And clearly, the government's policy, while I think it's not necessarily going to change Japan's birth rate significantly, is helpful for those people that do have problems reproducing. And certainly, his focus and mention of the um, free provision of fertility treatment under the National Health Insurance Scheme was very popular with people in this circumstance. And certainly, it was a vote winner with women who were completely ignored despite the uh, rhetoric by the Abe administration. So I think, again, it's a very smart thing to do. I don't think it will necessarily help them reach the target, which is 1.8. And um, that would be higher than the United States and Ireland and Brazil. But it's a move in the right direction. Now, another area where we've had quite a lot of action in the last few days is regional revitalization and regional banks. Since becoming prime minister, the other area of policy pronouncement that has market implications was that Suga mentioned that there are too many regional banks in Japan. Now, historically, there were, by effective government mandate, two regional banks in every uh, of one of the 43 non-urban prefectures in Japan. Japan has uh, has other, there, there are 47 prefectures, but some of them are actually cities. So it meant that you had uh, enough of a sector that um, my good friend Brian Waterhouse was able to make a career out of analyzing them and still does on Smart Karma platform. Clearly, with the regional economies in decline, these banks uh, are not viable. And they've come up with a variety of wheezes to continue to pretend that they are, they are still viable entities. Brian put up a comment on Smart Karma a few hours ago in response to a piece written by Daniel Tabush, which I recommend that you read on this. And I quote effectively the same sentence in this note, which is that merging banks isn't really the answer. And um, however, the maverick president of SBI Holdings, uh, Kitao-san, has decided that he's going to use to take this opportunity to create a regional bank network, which he will use to challenge the, the three main banks, uh, three main so-called city banks in Japan. Kidao has certainly got the ear of uh, the prime minister, and that's probably where this comment about too many regional banks comes from. However, Brian, and, and I share this, uh, is not that optimistic about the um, investment opportunities that will prevail from the, the sector. But certainly, there are a lot of foreign, uh, stale foreign owners of these stocks, and they have done, uh, they, they've invested in these entities with this reorganization in mind, but it's unclear that this is a strategy that will make significant amounts uh, of, of relative performance. Certainly, there is an idea of establishing, in addition to these measures, to encourage regional banks 
to merge. And there was a policy announcement from the Bank of Japan, which is what started the discussion between Daniel and uh, Brian, to establish some form of special enterprise zone, which is related to finance. There have been attempts over the last 30 years to have some forms of special enterprise zones in Japan. However, they've been not orientated towards foreign capital. And in the most recent case, they were actually abused by Abe on behalf of one of his friends. That was a dental school when Japan doesn't need another dental school. So Kitao is again supporting the idea that there will be a proper international financial center. There are three candidates, obviously Tokyo, uh, but it makes more sense to have one in Osaka or Fukuoka. Fukuoka is the uh, home, well, it's not the hometown, but it's the home capital of the prefecture that Deputy Prime Minister Aso Taro comes from. And his elder brother, who went to the same college at Oxford that I did, and is a very nice chap, is leading that bid. I have severe doubts that this will entice any major finance institution to move from Hong Kong. Uh, the obvious place to go other than Hong Kong would be Singapore. And one of the, the two main areas that I have that count against Japan in this are the opacity of the legal system. It's a Napoleonic legal system and not a um, common law English system, which applies to some extent now in Hong Kong and to a greater extent in Singapore. And also the lack of international schooling and the language barrier. So they will set it up. It probably won't work. It won't be a great success. But again, it's an emphasis on, uh, on a policy that will be implemented rather than just talked about. So I think Suga is a guy that gets things done. RB was quite content to talk big, you know, all hat and no cattle stuff. This then leads on to a need to restructure small and medium-sized enterprises. There are a large number of very old leaders of Japanese companies who don't have a natural successor within the family or necessarily within the business. And so clearly there has been a boom in M&A domestic M&A, and the um, leading stock in this area is highlighted uh, in, in the insight. It certainly will be a necessary move to support these companies that are suffering primarily because of cost-cutting at the, um, large the large company level. And so there is a lot of work that needs to be done in revitalizing the regions and in providing succession opportunities for these SMEs. The, Japan is not uh, alone in this problem. It applies in Germany, uh, the UK, and many other countries in, in Europe. There's no necessarily sensible solution, uh, and particularly when a lot of these businesses are, are analog. I mean, Japan excels in high precision, small bits and pieces. Example, good example, of a company that succeeded in trans transitioning to the digital world is Murata. Nidec is another example, but all of these are bits that go into other bits that go into end products usually sold by, uh, made in China and sold by American companies. But there's a whole raft of a supply chain that feeds up into these companies and Japan's future as a manufacturing base is clearly under threat 
from this attrition of the leadership of many of these small enterprises. The last area where we have a change is in a potential for change is in electric power, where Suga has mentioned that Japan will be carbon neutral by 2050. That is an ambitious goal and would require a revitalization of the nuclear power industry in Japan. I've added in with certain trepidation some ideas of long-term shorts and longs at the end. These are much more thematic than necessarily stock recommendations as we speak, although one or two of them have been doing relatively well in the last week or so following the possibility of a COVID vaccine. So I'm going to conclude there and hand back to Michael and uh, see if there are any questions. Thank you very much for this very comprehensive account, Campbell. In fact, you actually addressed a lot of the questions I had, but I'm very mindful of the time. So I think I'll keep it to one key question, which is, you gave a very uh, comprehensive account of the situation, as I said, but how stable is it? Do you think, in, in your view, what are uh, Mr. Suga's chances of re-election? Should there be uh, another election? Or what are the chances even of a snap election? Uh, I don't think he wants a snap election because of COVID. It doesn't make sense because voting is in person in Japan. Uh, although there are postal votes, everyone tends to vote locally. Uh, and also, he needs time to prove himself in terms of policies, and also for people to forget some of his early missteps. I think the chances of him being re-elected as LDP president are very high. And I think the chances of him being uh, elected as uh, the LDP winning the next election are very high. And therefore, he will have in my view, uh, five years to, to implement these policies. And that's why, I, I mean, and generally speaking, I'm bullish uh, on, on Japan. There are lots of overbought stops here. And therefore, if you want to be bullish on Japan, you're going to have to look at some of the more troubled areas where there will be a, a resurgence and reform. And that's how the market will, will get. I mean, everyone was talking about the Nikkei getting to a a long-term new high, but what that means is that nothing has changed for the last 30 years. We do need to see not just the, the Nikkei breakout, but more importantly, the topics. And the topics high post the, the bubble is 1911, and we're still just at 1700. So there's a lot of room on the upside. That can only be filled uh, with a resurgence in the more value-orientated sectors of the market. Right. What do you think is going to happen with the Olympics? Um, do you think that, uh, of course, assuming that uh, that they happen this year as rescheduled, do you think that there's sufficient groundwork done by the Abe administration that Suga will continue? Or do you think that there will be a different approach? That's up to the IOC. Japan will do whatever the IOC decides. Now, clearly, the infrastructure is all in place. They're ready to go. And they have to obviously compensate many of the providers. The sponsors also have a major role, and many of those are Japanese companies. They do want it to go ahead because they've committed so much in terms of sponsorship money. It will require a COVID vaccine before the, the IOC can make a decision. Well, fingers crossed for that. 
Campbell, I want to thank you very much for your account once again. Uh, thank you everyone for being with us today. And please do refer to uh, Campbell's uh, insight on the platform, as well as the additional insights that Campbell has mentioned. Um, they provide a lot of very useful context for the presentation today. If you have any other questions, uh, please email us at research at smartkarma.com. And please do feel free to uh, contact your Smart Karma account manager if you want to engage Campbell directly. With that, thank you, Campbell, once again, and uh, have a nice day, everyone. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. This is our last episode for this year as we take a short break, but we'll be back in 2021 with more insights from the Smart Karma Network. Until then, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your networks, follow us on social media, and don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly differentiated, independent investment insights. As always, thank you very much for listening, and happy holidays.